Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Live Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you on another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, a letter that has had us talking about so many different things, huh? Certainly, on one hand, we have been afforded to talk about uh, the sacramental life of the Church and the Eucharist, but on the other hand, we have been able to talk about so many of the different practical aspects of what it means to be a stronger Christian and Catholic in our everyday life. And I don't know if we have any set of verses in all of sacred Scripture that get to the heart of what it means to be a faithful Christian than the verses we are going to read this evening, because this evening we have that classic text, Paul's classic text that speaks to the way of love, chapter 13, huh? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, as we have been discussing, this chapter, chapter 13, really stands as the centerpiece in its truest sense on the spiritual and charismatic gifts, right? Because chapter 12 and chapter 14 get into the charismatic gifts, and chapter 13 then stands as the centerpiece, because as we have been discussing, some in Corinth esteemed the more spectacular charisms like like tongues and the interpretation of tongues. So Paul writes this beautiful poetic interlude to temper their sense of the need to be caught up in the sensational. Essentially, he says to the Corinthians and 2,000 years later, to all who are willing to really heed his call, without love, all charisms bring no benefit to the body of Christ and may even cause as he highlights, division among its members. To say love for Paul here, we are not talking about it in the eros, that erotic human love, or the uh, affectionate love, or even uh, friendship love, that highest form of human loves that certainly has been forgotten by so many today. No, for Paul, we are talking about agape love divine, sacrificial love, the love that created the universe and sent Christ down to suffer hell on the cross to save you and I, the love that kissed the traitor Judas, the love that suffered the soldier's slaps and sneers and prayed heroically, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, a love that before Christ, quite simply, we had never seen before. Could that love be confused with any other kind of love? Brothers and sisters, Paul is talking about this way of love that we might better understand that without it, everything that we do is empty of meaning, right? Everything that we do is empty of meaning. He wants us to see that if we are ever going to get it here on earth, what we do is only good to the extent that we are in God. Okay, so the way of love. Let us turn to 1 Corinthians 13 and read these powerful, poetic 13 verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, 
I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For our knowledge is imperfect and our prophecy is imperfect. But when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall understand fully, even as I have been fully understood. So faith, hope, love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. But the greatest of these is love. Mm, mm, mm. Some beautiful stuff, huh? <laughs> so let us go through these verses one of the things that struck me in these first three verses is the juxtaposition between I have and have not, right? I have and have not. The poetry really comes through when we read this, have not, but have not love, I am nothing, but have not love, I gain nothing. So we are made to juxtapose these two realities, I have, have not. Now, there is a bit of a paradox here, because when you look at God who is love, what we come to understand, as we just talked about agape, divine sacrificial love, is that love is other-centered. So we can never say necessarily, in a sense, that we totally possess God or that we totally possess love, because the moment we possess divine sacrificial love, what we come to learn and understand and hopefully appreciate is that you what? You give it away. So if you want more love in your life, then give more love away. You've heard me talk about this before. If you want more joy in your life, give more joy away. If you want more peace in your life, give more peace away. The idea here is empty so God can fill. If you don't empty what God had filled you up with, then <laughs> it's going to be full and there'll be no more room for God. So we have this idea of possession, yet in reality, do we ever possess? Now, what Paul wants us to see is that we have not because, well, <laughs> if there's no love there, then what you think you have, you really don't have. And this whole reflection stretches a little bit because even then, when we have God, we have not. You see the paradox there? You kind of flip it upside down so, so as to turn it right side up. Now, as it relates to this clanging symbol, here what Paul wants us to see is that speaking in tongues can produce the same meaningless noise 
if its purpose is thwarted by a failure to love. Brothers and sisters, we can do a lot of good things, but what Paul wants us to see is that it is meaningless if it does not abide in love, if it does not remain in love. It is just extra chatter. Our actions can be literally just extra chatter. huh? So let us be assured we are rooting ourselves in love. How about this phrase, I am nothing? Here we are to see that knowledge of saving mysteries and the exercise of even extraordinary faith amounts to, again, nothing unless coupled with active charity towards others. Love is to will the good of the other for the sake of other. Love is to see other as first, whoever that other might be, and self as second, always second. That's love. Some believe faith alone is sufficient for salvation. Others believe they will be saved by Christ's sacraments alone. Others rely on on works of mercy alone and think that they can sin with with impunity. But as St. Thomas Aquinas reminds us, none of these avail if charity is not present. What does James say? Faith without works is dead. Faith without love is dead, right? (laughs) Faith without love is dead. So, St. Paul, in this poetic interlude that is chapter 13, is really pushing everything to the edge and saying, hey, listen, (laughs) if what motivates you is something other than love, then you need to reorient your modus operandi, what operates your motives. You need to reorient why you do what you do. And really, this is the great challenge before all of us who claim to be Christian, right? What motivates us to do what we do? Why do we get up in the morning? What's the first thing we are thinking about in the morning? Are we thinking about self and and all that we need to do for self or other and all that we could possibly do for other? This really is the end game for, for sanctity and holiness. How about this phrase, deliver my body to be burned? If I give away all I have and if I deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So even such heroic acts as martyrdom, martyrdom by fire, are profitless toward eternal life without what? But a supernatural love for God. What's going on here? I mean, how do you give yourself totally and entirely in that way and it not be love? Well, George Montague, in his commentary on this passage, turns to T.S. Eliot in his work, Murder in the Cathedral. And in that work, what we have is a presentation of the final tempter as offering Thomas the crown of martyrdom so that he may enjoy a human glory, a human glory, a, a triumph of his own pride. And how does Thomas answer? The last temptation is the greatest treason to do the right deed for the wrong reason. You see, my friends, a true martyr goes to his death because there is no other way to be faithful to God, right? Not because it will be the ultimate triumph of his human pride, but no, the ultimate triumph of heroic, divine, sacrificial, other-centered love, right? The ego can feed on anything, even, for Paul here, martyrdom. Martyrdom. 
Only love, only love gives substance to martyrdom. Only love gives substance to essentially who we are and what we do. And we can never underestimate that truth. All right. Now, how about these series of verses, verses four to seven? Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So in this section, we begin with what? But two positive traits of love. And after those two positive traits of love, St. Paul lists eight faults that it is not. And then in his poetry, he returns with what but five positive traits. Now, what's so important for us to appreciate what Paul is trying to do is that he is putting these traits in verb form, which is very difficult to render in the English. So the effect in the end is Paul wants us to see that love is active, right? Love is active. How about this first quality here? Love is patient. Now, patience can speak to a great number of things, huh? We have to be patient in the checkout stand. We have to be patient in the waiting room. So patience takes on many forms. But what Paul is talking about here is the kind of patience that is tied to suffering. Because to be patient is to endure suffering in God's grace. Certainly, this is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, and and in other places. The very word patience, by the way, in its original root form, has an Akkadian root that literally means to endure suffering, right? So the very word patience communicates this virtuous quality, this virtuous quality that is tied to suffering. So, For Paul, when he's talking about patience, specific to uh, love, he's exhorting us to to love patiently. How about this quality of kindness? Love is kind. Today, when we talk about kindness, it has become so generic that it doesn't really mean any one thing. This would be the opposite thing to Paul. Because for Paul, what he wants us to see here is that kindness is, is a benevolent welcome. It is to be hospitable. It is to be extraordinarily generous. It is an eagerness to make one's brother and sister in the Lord experience their preciousness, who they are as created in the image and likeness of God. Again, to love is to will the good of the other. So to love is to be kind. There was a a great poetic line that once said, Love is patient. Kind is love. Kind is love. We can only understand that once we understand that, yes, A, love is about patiently enduring suffering, but also that kind is love when kindness speaks to giving another person the experience of their preciousness. Again, we can only do this by living in God, right? Because we don't have the power to do that but only God can do that in and through us. 
that we might actually give the other, whoever that person we are encountering, the experience of their preciousness, the experience of who they are as created in the image and likeness of God. What else here? Love is not jealous. Uh, Love is not jealous. You know, the jealous person says what? I want whatever he or she has. The jealous person actually becomes sad because of what other people have and they don't have. Isn't it funny? We can have all the things that we could ever need, and yet if we don't have the one thing that the other person has, then we are very sad about that. Why? Because we are jealous, because we are envious. But here, George Montague, and I love this, poses the question, what mother or father is envious or jealous of her children's gifts, even when they outshine her own? Well, as a father, I can tell you, no one great act, no one great deed, no one great talent could ever make me jealous or envious of my child. No, my hope, my desire is that they surpass any one thing that I might do. What does Jesus say? Your works can be greater than I. Why would he say that? Why would Jesus say that? Well, because if we are a good teacher, if we are a good parent, then what we hand on will actually give them the tools to surpass what we do, right? So love is not jealous is so important, especially today because I do think jealousy and envy is one of those sins that has pervaded our culture. We want to be like other people or we want to have what other people have. And we are not quote unquote at peace until we have what other people have or we have become what other people have, have become. This is a great slap in the face to God. Why? Because each and every one of us have a particular gift and talent that is unlike anyone else. God forbid there be two Joe Holcrafts in the world. God forbid there be two Jackie Holcrafts in the world, Jackie being my wife. Why? Because there's only one Joe and there's only one Jackie. There's only one of whoever you are, right? And so we embrace the uniqueness and the particularity of who we are and allow God to invade our hearts that whoever we are might shine forth in God. So once again, something to reflect with because of this contemporary tendency to aspire to be something that we are not. And again, for Paul, this certainly is not love. What else there? Love is not pompous. This Greek word means to be a braggart or a windbag. What are we reminded of in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, that Jesus was humble of heart and that only the humble of heart would what? Be exalted. So to the braggart, to the windbag, to the boastful, to the pompous, you will not be exalted. If all you do is spend time exalting yourself, you will not be exalted. And then we, we have this phrase that love is not inflated. Now, this is a real fun Greek word because when you get underneath it, the word actually communicates this kind of hissing sound that you would hear when air is coming out of a balloon or a tire. Here, the image suggests at the very least a false or exaggerated sen sense of self-importance, which when you get into the Greek, 
really is the opposite of the effect of the breath of the Holy Spirit, right? We are inspired by God, and we are inspired only to the extent that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But if we are inflating ourselves, we are letting the air of the Holy Spirit out in a negative way. Remember what we have said about uh, the Beatitudes, that the Beatitudes rest upon that first Beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The Greek word there for spirit is panuma, breath, wind. So as we are to long for God the same way we long for air, we are reminded that if we are in the business of being self-inflated, then we are letting out that breath, that air, in a way that God condemns, right? Love is not rude, okay? Love is not rude. So love is never indecent. Love is never obscene. Love is never disrespectful. It avoids what is shameful. So as Paul has already drawn out in this letter, it, it avoids the scandal of incest. It, it avoids excessive drinking. It avoids those sins which bring about scandal. Love then is what? Love is sacred. Sacred. Remember the word profane comes from the Latin profanum, which literally translates as outside the temple, okay? Outside of that which is sacred. Love is sacred. We receive God who is love in the Eucharist, in the house of God, in the church. And when we leave the house of God, when we leave the church, we go forth and communicate that which is sacred. And of course here, love does not seek its own interests. Okay, so love is never selfish. It never seeks its own advantage. It does not insist on its own way. How many times have you said in the last 24 hours, maybe not to someone, but to yourself, okay, that my way is the better way. And maybe your way is the better way in, in the workforce. But how are you going about that better way? Drawing attention to yourself or drawing attention to God? Because we can insist that our way is the better way in what we do. But remember, all is a gift. All is grace. If you come to see that your way is a better way, and it might be for the sake of advancing your business or whatever it is that you do, understand that God can take that away from you at any moment, at any moment. And certainly this should humble you. If you root yourself in the self-sacrificing love that we see on the cross, then yeah, <laughs> we'll see that our way is only as good as the way, the truth, and the life. All right, love is not quick-tempered. Okay, so here, this can also translate as love does not take offense, uh, or love is not easily angered, love is not irritable. Today, anger is one of those great sins that we just don't talk about enough. You know, we talk about impurity. We have certainly talked about gossip, two sins that are just rampant in our culture today. Well, anger is another one. And I think far too often we slip into this mindset that our anger is just, and certainly in some cases and in some contexts, it might be just. But more often than not, it's not. It's not. And if you think that it is, ask yourself the question, is my anger 
rooted in love am I flying off the handle the slightest provocation? Am I taking a personal offense at the way someone looks at me? I mean, we really have to stop and think about this. Do we have control over who we are and our actions? Or does everyone else around me and their emotions dictate my terms and who I am in, in my personality, in my emotional state? Okay? If you are allowing another person's weaknesses to dictate how you love, then I can assure you, my friends, your anger is not just. Okay? Don't slip into that trap. If you go nuclear on someone at the drop of a dime, <laughs> then I assure you, your anger is not just. Love is not quick-tempered, is not irritable, so it doesn't get irritated at the slightest thing. I want us to really reflect with that. Okay, so I'm going gonna, gonna to end there, and I'm, I'm ending there with purpose and intention because as we've talked about a great number of things this evening, I want us to, at the very least, reflect upon all that we have talked about and all that we have discussed, but most especially why love itself is not so quick-tempered, that love is full of peace, a deep sense of there isn't any one thing that you can do that's going to dictate my own interior peace. What does this call for but more time with God? more time with God who is love, more time with God who is sacred. Huh? Okay, we will pick up here uh, where we left off tomorrow, and I will do so with Debbie Rosales. And Debbie and I will continue this reflection on love and try to be as specific as we can with, with Paul's verses here. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.